Hi, my name is Tommy Stell, and I'm a Christian who has bipolar disorder. I was 14 years old, and I started hearing voices. Voices having hallucinations. Um, I had tactile hallucinations, auditory, visu visual hallucinations. That's when it got real. A nearby town and parking lot, just in my underwear, trying to see who was, sound like was being murdered in front of me, trying to find out where she was, trying to help. And I realized after a couple friends came out running after me, they had to pull me back inside because I had no idea what was going on. The Christians Who Curse Sometimes podcast is real stories about real Christians. We're not here to talk politics. We're not here to judge. We're just here to listen and learn how to love people better. When it comes to mental health, this is a really fascinating discussion because mental health is one of those things that I think most Christians would agree that the church does not talk about it enough. In fact, 65% of people who go to church who have people with mental illness in their families want the church to talk more openly about mental health issues. And yet only 53% of churchgoers with mental illness say the church has been supportive of them. Now I know that mental health can mean a lot of things. I mean, it can mean severe mental illness. It can also mean something slight. So while acknowledging that there is a spectrum of mental health, today I'm really excited to bring you Tommy's story. Tommy was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and he's gonna share a lot of the ups and downs of his faith when it comes to his bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is something that 18 million people are diagnosed with, and it's actually pretty likely that you know somebody with this condition. So whether or not you think you know somebody who has bipolar disorder, take a listen to Tommy's story. And before we start, I'd love to give a shout out to our sponsor, Salt, the dating app made by Christians for Christians. What I love about Salt is not only does it introduce single Christians to other amazing single Christians, but it lets you match and connect on values, character traits, and interests, not just pictures in a quick paragraph. The other cool thing is they've got daily live audio events where you can connect, talk, and chat with hundreds of other single Christians on loads of different topics to dating, film, spirituality, and more. I'm actually going to be on there weekly talking about the topics that happen on this show. So if you want to give it a shot, download the Salt app today. And for those in the U.S. and Canada, use my code CWCS for three months of free premium. Wherever you are, if you meet someone special, let us know and we'll feature you on our Insta story and get salt to pay for your next date. Go on, add some salt to your love life. You've got nothing to lose. Before we get to all the serious stuff, let's get to know who Tommy is first. Absolutely. I live in Atlanta. I have been married for two and a half years now. I'm working on my master's actually. I'm just in my last semester, I'm gonna be getting my master's in math soon. Just a wild ride. Fun few facts about me. I used to bake a lot. I've catered weddings with my baking and my mom was a clown my entire childhood. Was so she I really? Was. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up around clowns and around magicians and jugglers and just the, that whole environment. Wild place to grow up. Okay, so but before we get into you know how all this started, when you first you know saw signs of being bipolar, what is bipolar disorder? How do you explain that to someone if they had no idea what it was or just their understanding is through the media? I've always described it as the absolute highest and the absolute lowest. We're used to the normal rhythms of life of having ups and downs, days where we're having a good day, days where we're not having such a good day. We're also used to the times where all of a sudden we win the lottery and we're at the absolute highest peak we could imagine or our dog died and that's absolute low. People who have bipolar hit those absolute highs and absolute lows without any good reason for doing so. They don't have any sort of really trigger that just says, okay, your dog just died. You're an absolute bottom of the barrel right now. You're the worst of the worst. You're depressed right now. 
that's not something that people with bipolar disorder have. They just naturally go to it. It's kind of like the emotion without the trigger that should yeah. be there for the emotion, for lack of a better way of explaining it. Yeah. The way I've always described mania is if you've ever seen someone on cocaine, that's about what mania appears like. When it comes to depression, I've always described it as you're trying to eat your favorite food and all you can taste is dust and ash. You can't taste anything. It's tasteless. Even the best things that you could possibly be doing are trash in your mouth. Now, you 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 mentioned bipolar, but also just now you mentioned depression. What What is kind of the, what do you struggle with in, in total? Like, is, is depression within but bipolar? It, or how do they relate and what is it, like what all sorts of things do you struggle with with your mental health? Bipolar kind of is the combination of a depression, depressive state and also a manic state. So you have that period of depression. That's one of the criteria you need to get diagnosed with bipolar disorder. But you also have that mania and you cycle through the two over varying amounts of time. Um, I know people who cycle pretty fast, people who have longer, months long, years long cycles. So thinking back to kind of your your younger life, what were those kind of first moments where you, you maybe were showing signs of being bipolar but not understanding what it was? I distinctly remember being six and expressing I wanted to kill myself. Really? Yeah, six years old and I had those suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideations at six when you're supposed to. You remember to. it feeling real. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a kid's. Because I think the thing is, I think a lot of parents can want to differentiate. Is my kid joking around because they heard it or was it serious? But what, what made it different for you? I wrote a note to my mom saying, I want to kill myself. That was just what I was feeling, so I expressed that via a note, and then we didn't really do much of it past that, but that was a real incident that I look back now and I realize, oh, that was the bipolar starting to peek its head through. So how did your mom react to that? Like, you know, she like that's not something that every mom gets from their six-year-old, so did she take it seriously, or did she kind of think it was a, a kid being a kid? To be honest, I don't know if I can answer that. I was not put into therapy at the time, I would definitely say we had talks about it, check-ins, but it was not a singular, this is exactly the route I'm gonna take with you, or I'm just gonna ignore it. I wouldn't say I have the ability to give a clear indication of what my mom was doing or thinking at that time. So when did it start becoming different though? Because that can be, you know, a, a one-off where a kid kind of has like a, a, a tough moment. When did you start realizing that it was happening more often? I was 14 years old and I started hearing voices. Wow. Started hearing voices, having hallucinations. Um, I had tactile hallucinations, auditory, visu visual hallucinations. That's when it got real. What is that like? Because I, I think a lot of people listening who, who you know, don't know someone like you or don't have it, what are the voices like? Like, do they just kind of appear? What are they saying? And what, what sorts of things happen? It varies. One specific incident that I remember was right after I got diagnosed. Um, it was in the summer of 2017, so I was 19 at the time. I remember I had just woken up and I thought there was a monster banging on the wall trying to get inside. And I remember distinctly hearing it trying to get inside and I was absolutely panicking on the couch. And then I heard a woman screaming outside for help. And I remember thinking, there's someone who's dying to this monster outside. And I ran sprinting out of my underwear, trying to find out where the woman was. And I was running around a nearby town in a parking lot, just in my underwear, trying to see who was, sound like was being murdered in front of me, trying to find out where she was, trying to help. And I realized after a couple friends came out running after me, 
they had to pull me back inside because I had no idea what was going on. So what is it like, you know, being that kind of younger person and being in a faith atmosphere? I, I assume you were a, a Christian at the time. Um, how do you, or maybe you weren't, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but how do you balance, you know, when you're learning about faith, but also trying to figure out your mental health at the same time? Where did those kind of intersect? And, and did anything ever happen with that? So I kind of grew up in a Christian household. Um, my mom also did a lot of mission trips as a clown. Wild ride, let me just say that's that. That's so awesome, like what a cool childhood. I feel like that's such like, it's so lucky for a kid to have a clown as a mom. <laughs> yes, it was normalized after a time, but it was still absolutely wild just anyway. Not important, not important to the story right now. Okay. <laughs> um, I grew up in a Christian household, and I would say I was very good at pretending to be a Christian. Mm. I was very good at pretending to know the right words. I could say any of the Bible stories. I could tell anyone to read their Bible, tell anyone they need to pray. But that was not for me. When I started to get more sick at 14 and moving past that, I definitely just kept taking steps back from the faith. After that incident happened, I was working at a tutoring center. This is going slightly different direction. And I remember thinking about myself that I was a very unkind person. That was just like the overwhelming thing going through my head. I'm an unkind person. I have this going on in my head. My mind is not working. And there was a woman named Letitia who kept bringing me food and showing me love and just being kind to me. She came into my work every single day for not quite a year. And I talked to her for an hour because it was slow almost every single day for a year. And we became close. And she was one of the few people who was showing me kindness during that time. It was actually at 19 that I got saved after she was murdered by her husband. Um, I learned after the fact that part of the reason she was in my work as often as she was is because she was trying to find a safe space. During this time where she was being shown such incredible unkindness and just hatred, she was looking at me, a little 19-year-old kid, and giving me kindness, showing me kindness to someone who did not deserve it at the time. And she's the one who helped through her kindness and just through talking about her faith when I did not want to talk about my faith helped bring me back to Christ. And it was a wild ride trying to come back to the Lord because I had been refusing really to acknowledge the Lord. I was just kind of pretending to be whatever it was I was pretending to be. But it was not an overly welcoming environment at first, coming back in, especially with having bipolar disorder. So what sort of things happened that, that made you feel like, like you, like you said, it wasn't fun. And were you open about your bipolar di disorder with this? Or was it kind of the symptoms were coming out and people were treating you differently because of it? A little bit of both. When I, I was actually, when I was first diagnosed, I was dating this girl and I remember distinctly, she looked at me and said, I'm scared of people with bipolar disorder. This was before she knew about it. Wow. And I was like, oh, well, that might be me. So that may not work out that well. You said that uh, to her? No, I was just thinking that. Oh, okay. I should, <laughs> I should have said it. I'd look back and I realized I should have said it, but it's okay. <laughs> Hindsight is 2020. Yeah. But I remember thinking, that's the attitude everyone's going to have about me. Everyone's going to have this mm -hmm. attitude. I'm scared. You're not to be trusted. You're not to be around. You are damaged goods. You're broken. You cannot be trusted. All of the depictions and people I'd known with bipolar, you see movies like Silver Linings Playbook. And it's not a good, it's not an encouraging depiction of someone with bipolar disorder. You see any of these media depictions, any of the people I'd known growing up with bipolar, it was not promising. It did not look promising and it was very terrifying at the beginning. I hid it for a long time. 
it was eventually I realized that I had it and I was so tired of having it, so tired of having it, so tired of hiding it as well, that even among the people who I was supposed to be ministered by and ministering to, just in this church community, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to be as open as I possibly can be about it. And, and when I, did this happen, though? Like, how, how old were you when you became comfortable talking about it? Uh, 20. I was 20. 20. Okay. And I'm 26 now. Mm-hmm. So what was it like, you know, you have that moment where you finally feel comfortable opening up about it to people. You finally feel comfortable talking about it to the church. How did the church react? Depended. I remember I looked at my Instagram account and I had lost about 200 followers after I posted on Instagram about the fact that I had bipolar disorder. What a like horrible way. Like, I, you know, it, it's so crazy to me because I think to a lot of people that can seem like such a petty thing of like, you know, losing 200 followers, someone could say, who cares? But when it happens immediately after you open up about something, that I know many would argue is a part of who you are. I mean, some may say it's something you struggle with. I don't know how you define it, but see all those people run away when you're showing, you know, who you are, whether or not you consider it a struggle has got to be discouraging. It was because I only had a couple hundred Instagram followers. I was not, I'm not overly popular on Instagram by any stretch of the imagination, (laughs) but it was not necessarily just seeing people leave. It was seeing that they left because I was open about having bipolar disorder which was not overly promising, looking forward to being open and honest about bipolar, and then people immediately being scared and leaving. Um, Why do you think they left though? What, what do you think they're scared of? In, in, in all honesty, like, like that's a lot of people to just go away. And I think if, if you just don't understand something, that doesn't make you run away. Why do you think people run away? I would say it comes to a couple things in a large portion of my, I live in this Southeast America. It's mental illness is not talked about as much. It's not a very common thing just to be like, oh yeah, I have bipolar disorder or I have depression or I have anxiety. You don't talk about it as much. So the fact that I was breaching that taboo of talking about it probably turned some people off. And then inside the church, inside specifically the evangelical church, oftentimes you don't just talk about mental illness or if you do, it's demons causing that is demons interacting with you and it's not actually a mental illness it's demonic intervention what do you and think so, about that because i think that's a very common belief when it comes to mental health what are your well you're shaking your head already as i'm looking at you on camera but what do you i mean i i don't want i i think people i, I you know I'm, I'm just gonna let you you talk about it because i, I want to give my thoughts but it's more important to hear yours at this point what do you have to say to people who who think that it really saddens me. It saddens me first off because they are so focused on it being something outside of the actual person. They don't want to acknowledge the fact that it may actually be something inherent to me. I have bipolar disorder that's inside my brain. I know that about myself. I know I have that. And they're trying to say that the thing that has helped govern my life for a large portion of it. 20 years now isn't actually real and just demonic intervention because of, I don't know, I sinned or my parents sinned or something like that. And it's saddening to think that that's the attitude they view me with, that I haven't prayed hard enough or I don't have enough faith to be able to expel this demonic intervention that is mental health in their eyes. It's sad. And then it's horrifying to think that there are a lot of teenagers who are going through a similar experience that I went through of starting to realize that their mental health is not perfect whatsoever. And now they're being told that there's something fundamentally wrong with them in the sense that they're not praying hard enough. They don't have enough faith. They're not spiritually strong enough to be able to get rid of this 
demonic presence, which is of mental illness, which is complete nonsense. Did you ever think that that was true? Like, I did like not. You, you never, you never wondered for a moment, like maybe my faith isn't strong enough. I did not, um, mainly because I didn't really have one. I just had a good pretending faith. By the time that I came to Christ, I'd already started processing a lot of what it meant to have mental health and have some of these issues and processing the idea that mental health is inherent to the brain. It's not inherent to some spiritual influence. So no, I would say that's not something that I ever really struggled with. Okay, l let's clear up some misconceptions then, because okay. I think like, l let's just lay them all out on the table. Cause you mentioned, you know, you talked about Silver Linings Playbook and you said, mm -hmm. you know, when you tell people you're bipolar, they run away. You know, mm -hmm. you had this, this girl in your life that said like she had an issue with people who are bi bipolar. But what do you think the biggest misconception about people with bipolar is and what is the truth? The, one of the biggest ones that I've seen and experienced is that we are inherently dangerous. Are you? I am not. I am harmless. <laughs> Everyone who has ever met me says I am harmless. Um, but why do you think that misconception is out there? Is it is it true for some people? Like I, I'm not I'm not challenging you in any way. Do you think it's true for some people? And is there any legitimacy behind it? No, it is definitely true for some people only because of the way it presents itself. When mm -hmm. mania hits. It's like they're on cocaine constantly 24 seven for months at a time. And it's terrifying to look at because manic minds like a hurricane. It comes in and it's just so strong and so powerful at the time. It just destroys everything near it. Usually itself the most, but the high energy and the low impulse control and the terrible decision-making and just all the different factors that lead into mania itself and just the medical diagnosis of mania is scary to look at. That's not a question about it. When I started dating my now wife, I prepped her just on what it looked like for me, what signs to watch for, what she should tell yeah, me. Let's talk about that. Let, let, let's talk about that conversation. So um, first of all, how did you meet your wife? I met my wife in college be right before I became a Christian. She's two years younger than I am. And I was in the middle of going and saying I was dating every which way I could. But I met her in the middle of dating around and doing as college students do, so to speak. And we circled around each other for years. We were friends, we talked, but I didn't go near her because I recognized that she was a great person. She still is a great person. And if I went near her in my promiscuous ways and promiscuous <laughs> mind, yeah. I would not be a good influence. I did not want to ruin or corrupt her in the way I viewed her. Um, I eventually need a date to my best friend's wedding. I posted on Instagram. I was like, hey, I need a date to a wedding. Anyone want to go with me? And she said, she messaged back and was like, I'll go with you to your best friend's wedding if you come with me to my best friend's wedding. Oh, this is like Hallmark movie stuff right here. <laughs> it's adorable. It's a great story. And we went to the weddings and we started dating. We went to the first wedding together in August, started dating in September, got engaged the next April and married the following January. So a year and a half from the first wedding, we went together to our own wedding. So now, how did how did that conversation come up? Because I, I can imagine when you when you you know ha have bipolar disorder, there's got to be a sort of anxiety that she's going to figure it out and and judge you for it when you tell her. So was she seeing signs of it? Did you just flat out tell her to start? Like how did that conversation happen? So I had known her for years at this point when we started <laughs> dating. Um, so she already knew. Most of the people in my life know about it. I'm not, I don't hide it at all. I talk about it. It's just something I talk about because it's important to me. Um, 
So she knew, but when we started dating, I sat her down and told her the full story. I don't share the details of the nitty gritty parts of it that often. There's only a few people I've told everything to, um, and she's one of them. And I just told her everything. I was like, hey, this is what I have. Here's your exit ticket. If you don't want this, no hard feelings. I understand. I let her know that it was permanent. It's not going away. It can be managed by medication, but it was here to stay. And I told her that if she wanted to leave, I would not stop her standing in her way. And she stayed by the grace of God. Wow. <laughs> so what sorts of things do you need to tell her though? Like, cause I imagine, you know, there, there's a big difference between being your friend and being your partner. Like you, your partner is about to see you at your best and worst. And when, when you describe it yourself as extreme highs and extreme lows, what do you have to prepare her for? Let me tell you about some of the stuff we've done since we've been married, for example. Okay. We, I call it the suicide protocol because that's basically what it is. If I'm ever feeling extraordinarily low or feeling in that sort of mindset, I'll be like, hey, I'm not feeling great. Can you lock the knife drawer? Can you keep, lock up the alcohol? Can you lock up this? Can you lock up that? Can you just not baby proof the house, but Tommy proof the house, basically? Mm -hmm. Um, that's gotta be, I mean, I, I gotta be honest, like for, for any person who, who doesn't struggle with bipolar, that's gotta be a very scary thing to hear. Because for me, like even if I was your friend and, and you told me that, I wouldn't know how seriously to take that. Or I wouldn't know, you know, there, there's so much ambiguity in, mm -hmm. in that of like, is this going to happen? How, how much should I like Tommy proof the house? Like how seriously should I take this? So it's just, like, I mean, your wife sounds like an incredible person. You know, when you when you give the specifics of like, hey, if I tell you I'm down, I need you to do this. I need you to lock the knife drawer. I need you to do this. But how do you teach people to love you? Like, like what would you tell a, a friend or like somebody who's just getting to know you? I normally don't really go that route of that sort of side of the bipolar. I'll mention it casually. I'll mention I have it, mm -hmm. but I don't like to share details if I don't have to yeah. with people. Um, and I traditionally don't share details with anyone. The only people that I'll share details with are some of my closest friends. And I'll share past details and past stories with people who are also bipolar. But if I'm meeting somebody who is either bipolar or I've decided this is my best friend, we're going to be cool, we're going to be tight like that, I would say it's a very slow process with someone who's brand new without bipolar, I would introduce it bits at a time, or I would start by telling about some of the past manic episodes or past depressive episodes I've had, which I've named all my manic episodes because they all have very distinct flares and personalities. But if it's someone who's bipolar as well, and we're talking for the first time, I'll go through and like, okay, here was this manic episode, summer 2017, this is what happened, boom, 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 boom. Have you had these symptoms? Have you seen this? Have you tried that? But when it comes to teaching people how to love me, I don't expect that. I don't expect them to immediately understand or even immediately have any sort of way to process this. Normally, if we start talking about it, I'll then give them a couple days a week, a month. Mm -hmm. And if they keep coming around, great. If not, great. Mm -hmm but I just give them the facts. Yeah, so let's talk about your, your diagnosis because that mm -hmm. must have been a really unique journey for you because you know, you're having the, these thoughts and feelings, you don't know what they are, they're very, very scary and now all of a sudden you have a name to it. Tell me the, to tell me the story of getting diagnosed and how it felt getting diagnosed. 
So spring of 2017, I had just moved out of my parents' house. I was 19 years old, and I entered a terrible depressive episode. I don't remember most of the details of it, but I remember my best friend called me and was like, hey, you're not doing well. You need to go see a therapist. I'd been to one therapist before, and I hated the guy. He was terrible. He did not do a good job. He was. We did not vibe. We did not click. So I was like, okay, I'll go to an on-campus therapist. And I wound up going to the on-campus therapist, met with them for a couple of months, met with the on-campus psychiatrist who would come around for a couple of months. And I told them what I'd been going through. And they're like, um, that's not normal. That's not what most people go through. You're not supposed to be hearing voices. Why are you hearing voices right now? You should not be hearing that. And they're like, yeah, it's one of a couple things. Eventually they're narrowed it down to bipolar disorder. Specifically, I have unspecified bipolar disorder. So it's not quite type one, not quite type two. It's a little bit in between. Can you explain what those types are? So type one bipolar disorder is predominantly classified as having the severe depression, but also the true mania. This is the one that is most commonly depicted in media. I'm not going to say it's the more severe one because that's a misnomer and that's not entirely true, but it's the one that is oftentimes viewed as being the more severe form of bipolar disorder. Bipolar type 2 is very similar, still the extreme lows, but only hypomania, so not quite the full-blown manic episode of true all-the-way-out-there mania. And then there's also cyclothymia, which is a little bit of a different diagnosis entirely. I'm not exactly sure of the details. And then if you don't quite fit nicely into any of the categories, then you get unspecified bipolar disorder. Yeah. So now you, you said you were, you know, s- struggling with your faith. You get diagnosed. Um, did when you say that you kind of refound your faith and, and got saved, was that before or after the diagnosis? After. How did the diagnosis play a part in your relationship with Christ? Ooh, I was angry. I was really angry at God. Um, Psalm 139 is talking about how he knit me together in my mother's womb and how he formed me. And I was pissed that he formed me with this. It felt like an insult to me that he said he formed me, but formed me with this. And that made me beyond angry. Um, That was actually one of the initial things that also led me away from the church and just away from even having a, the facade of being a Christian whatsoever and pretending, trying my best to pretend to be one. And I had to deal with that coming into being a Christian. That was one of the first things that the Lord brought before me. It was like, we are going to work with this. We're going to work through this. And Psalm 139 was kind of a big challenge for me, a challenge of why do I have this? That's mm-hmm. something that I've heard others talk about too other people who are Christian who have other long-term illness or long-term disease or anything long-term is why did God build me with this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that's a question that I've wrestled with and asked myself so often of just trying to figure out what is it exactly that made God give me bipolar? Why me? Have you gotten any answers to that? None that I'm willing to share. All the answers I've gotten are very specific and half answers. And I feel like the answers that God's given me, it's not that I wouldn't share them, it's just I don't know how widespread they would be or applicable they would be mm-hmm. to others. So I have to ask, when when it comes to your faith or your life in general, you've had you know a, a really unique kind of life. Is Is there any moment that you look back on and you're really proud of yourself for how you handled something? 
There's a couple that spring to mind. I got to pick one that I know I can share because I'm also a teacher and I can't share all the details. Probably say the first time I posted about it on Instagram and I first talked about it, I had 10 people message me who had followed me and said, I also have bipolar disorder and I never would have guessed for any one of them. I found 10 new people who, before I posted that, did not have a bipolar community. I became the only person they knew with bipolar disorder. And for months, the Lord kept throwing people with bipolar disorder at me. And they, I don't know why, but I just kept interacting with someone who had bipolar disorder. And I became the first person that a couple of my friends called when they were diagnosed before they even knew they had bipolar. I, they had met me, knew I had it. They got diagnosed. I was like, I can call Tommy. Tommy's open about it. Tommy will talk to me. I've been able to share my story a couple of times. One of the first times I shared my story about what it was like actually having the mental health, I found out that someone got saved after I talked and I broke down in tears, ugly, ugly sobbing, because that was where the Lord had taken me, is he had taken me from running from my faith, running from everything, struggling with who I was, struggling with what he had given me and allowed my story to bring someone else to know him. And I'm just still so humbled that I've been able to share it in such a way that others have come to know Christ. Tommy, what do you wish more people knew about you? I love hugs. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very much... (laughs) (laughs) I am a big physical touch person. I love to give hugs all of my friends. I love to hug all my friends. I love to hug my wife. I wish it was more common that when we are around our community and our friends, we can be open and vulnerable about, hey, I love hugs. Hey, I need a hug right now. I just need just a physical contact with somebody right this moment. Can I tell you, um, I, I think there's this interesting, let, let, let's take a sidebar on this for a second, because I think there's an interesting thing, especially with guys, because I used to be the, uh, I, I could never decide if I should handshake or hug somebody. I don't know how many guys have like gotten in their minds with that, with like, do I give them a handshake or do I give them a hug? And one day I just decided, I'm gonna be a 100% hug guy. And no matter who I see, you know who it is, I'm gonna hug everybody from this point on. And even if people put their hand out, I'm just gonna give them a hug. And let me tell you, life got a thousand times easier oh, I when that. I started doing that. <laughs> I started giving a lot more hugs. I also started saying I love you to everybody. My roommates, my friends, just, I said I love you to people. And I remember my roommate looked at me, I was like, that's weird, don't do that. I'm like, <laughs> Love you, Dino. It's fine. I'm not going to stop admitting the fact that I love you and care for you. So I wish more people knew that just because I have bipolar, it's not, does not mean I'm dangerous. Does not mean that I am automatically an enemy. It means I just am me. I just have this thing that the Lord has given me and the Lord is good and the Lord works through me and the Lord shows himself through his people and the Lord's is present the community of the church and just in the entire body of the church. And regardless of if you are a mega pastor, small group leader, you have bipolar, you lead a famous Instagram page, the Lord can work through anybody from me on up to do. Do you, do you know what I, I think is amazing about you, Tommy? I just asked you what you wish more people knew about you in the context of this mental health discussion. and. I mean, hugs, I guess you can define as mental health, but I think it shows just the power that you don't define yourself 
by your mental. You don't define yourself by your bipolar disorder. You define yourself as Tommy. And I think that's really cool that you, I mean, it, who knows what, what, what you struggle with behind closed doors, but the, the, the way you're acting with me, it shows me that you, you don't let yourself be defined by your disorder. Like you, you are who you are and you're, you're using it to change lives. And I think even sharing this, this story right now, because I have to tell you, I, I, maybe I do know somebody who's bipolar, but I don't know somebody who has been comfortable enough to tell me that they are. And I think having this conversation with you has really opened my eyes to a lot of the, the stigmas that are out there, but also just that, that unconscious fear that I think people with bipolar or other me mental health disorders can have to even tell somebody like me. Because, you know, one thing that was really impactful was when you said your, your girlfriend at the time had mentioned that she was scared of bipolar or whatever it, it was that she said. That brings so much attention to the power of what we tell people. Because I'd be willing to bet, I mean, maybe she does know, but I'd be willing to bet that she has no idea how hurtful that was to you that it could have snowballed into, well, now I can't tell anybody. So we as Christians have to be so careful about what we say, even when we think we're in the safety of someone we trust in a dating relationship, assuming they don't or couldn't possibly struggle with it, because you never know what snowball that can have. I mean, she likely has an unconscious bias because someone else, because of other experiences in her life that, that you can't help, but it shows that Christians really have to be careful about what we're saying and not who we're saying it to. Because I think we can get in this mindset of, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm with my group, I can say what's really on my mind, but you never know how saying something that's, that's ignorant can hurt somebody's journey and can hurt somebody's spiritual growth. So if someone's listening right now and they struggle with their mental health, what do you want them to know? Go seek help. There is no shame in asking for help. All throughout scripture, you can see people reaching out to Jesus and reaching out for help because we can't do it alone. We are useless by ourselves. We are not meant to be by ourselves. We are meant to be meant to be in community. And part of that means reaching out for help and reaching out when you don't feel good, when you realize that there's something wrong with the way that your brain is working at that time. There's no shame in reaching out and saying, I can't do this. I can't continue like this. I need help. And that's what I said to my best friend when back right before I was saved, right before I was diagnosed, and she said, go to therapy. <laughs> and it helped. It really did. I would say seek out professional medical help. Also, talk to someone you trust in your own life. I talked to my best friend and I my life changed because of that conversation where I said, I can't keep doing this. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why I'm like this. And through that conversation, my life took a turn and took a turn that it would never have happened otherwise. I'll also say to anyone who does not have bipolar, but is friends with someone who's bipolar or family. You know, you, you, you just took that question out of my mouth because I was just, I was waiting for you to pause to say, what do you have to say to friends and spouses of people with bipolar or other affective or other Sorry. disorders? I'll let you ask your question first. But no, I just did. I just did. You go for it. <laughs> I would say to someone who loves or cares for someone with bipolar, first off, thank you. I hope my wife realizes how much I need her and how much of an impact she's had on me. I hope my best friend realizes that. I hope my family realizes that, that I could not have done all this without them. And I hope if you care for somebody with bipolar or any other mental health illness, 
that you understand how grateful we are and how grateful I am and how grateful they are. I would say if you're still trying to figure out how to best love them and best care for them, ask them just to tell you about what it's like. Ask, can you just tell me a little bit about your story? What is a day day like? And then listen, don't interrupt. Don't try and make comparisons because in all honesty, we've all had ups and downs. My dog, my childhood dog died a couple months ago. That was rough. I didn't like that. But in all honesty, that was not near as low a depressive state as bipolar has taken me. You can make comparisons, but they're really not anything like having bipolar is like, it's different. Ask, listen, learn. One thing that my best friend did is she started reading about it online, like not quite WebMD, but valid CDC sources, valid sources, just to try and learn a little bit more about the greater context. And then I ask for patience. Just have patience with us. Not everything we do is gonna make sense. When my anxiety is building up or when my depression is coming back or when my mania is building up, I don't always recognize it. I don't always see it right away. Sometimes my wife realizes that I'm getting bad again before I do. Just have patience with us because we may not always realize, but eventually it all comes back around. And do you have any, any resources, websites, books, anything like that that you can um, re- recommend that have been helpful for you? So I use a mood tracking app on my really? phone. Really? I do. It's great. It's called eMoods. One word, E-M-O-O-D-S. It's beyond amazing. Wow. There's a free version of it and it's great. I was recommended to it. I don't even know how, but it allows you to track your manic state, your depressive state, anxiety. It allows you to track your sleep. It allows you to track, if you're a woman, your menstrual cycle. It allows you to track all this just so you can start building information for yourself about what your cycles look like, what they look like over time. So I can look back over the past and I have it right here and not everyone can see this, but I'll show you, you can track it over time. It's helpful just to have more information for yourself about what your illness looks like. That's one of the main ones I recommend to everybody. Gosh, that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I can only imagine the the impact it's gonna have on people listening. I mean, I mean seriously, because I mean, it, it, it's already had an impact on me. And I think, you know, even if you don't know somebody, you never know if you're going to experience this in life. And I would hope that, you know, if somebody listens to this and somewhere down the road, they find out that somebody in their life uh, has bipolar disorder, they're gonna think back on this, remember the things that you said and know exactly what to do and and not run and not unfollow on Instagram, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I also feel like the next episode should be I'm a Christian who is a clown and I should have your mom on here. <laughs> <laughs> no comment on that one. All right. <laughs>